Hello, my name is Michael Finney. Today we're joined by Alex Patton. You want to say hello? Hello. How's it going? How's it going? Doing good, man. How are you doing? Uh, Great. You know, we saw each other recently. We talk uh, with some frequency. This is perhaps not, um, you know, uh, a chance for us to catch up, but, you know, a chance for us to introduce what you've been doing lately. So, yeah, yeah. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, the things you like? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, uh, I'm really, I'm your, I'm your pretty average, you know, tech, art, music geek, uh, through and through. Um, I guess I'll just start with music because that's probably my biggest passion and, and, and really what, what led me to do what I do, uh, on a daily basis. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, listening to a lot of, uh, metal writing, writing music, uh, in a metal band, um, playing shows. Uh, and that was, that was kind of like, I mean, actually even before that, you know, I grew up playing trumpet and, uh, and, um, picked up guitar at a young age. But, um, I would say music was kind of my introduction to, uh, design and marketing and branding and kind of, you know, what, what projected me into where I am today, um, designing software and, uh, designing, uh, uh, digital experiences, you know, that, that ultimately, um, drive specific outcomes. Um, so, you know, back at, yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like for how sure. many people come from an art or music background and start to delve into media and exploring that and finding out how to make it work for them out of necessity, right. really. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. So you were playing in bands and you started getting into other elements of design. What were those things? Um, back then it was mostly like MySpace layouts, um, logos, merchandising, album artwork, uh, pretty much anything related to uh, marketing and promoting um, band. Mm. Uh, uh, that was that was kind of like how I got into technology as well. Um, you know, creating MySpace layouts for my bands and my friends' bands. Uh, that was my introduction to freelancing and entrepreneurship. Um, it's how I learned how to, you know, market the skill set that I had at the time. And it, it, it really, I would say, you know, prepared me for um, running my own businesses eventually, like actually starting up LLCs and, uh, you know, managing a business from the ground up. Um, and it's also prepared me for, you know, working collaboratively with people and, uh, you know, trying to facilitate like win-win situations, right? Because, you know, part of writing music and part of, Creative work is often working with other people. And so having, uh, having that experience in music, um, it's really translated well uh, working with teams in, say, a larger organization. Yeah, that's interesting, too, uh, because inside of like a band situation, you're trying to navigate those relationships and be able to produce material and content that's outwardly facing, right? 
right? So then you're kind of mm-hmm. trying to navigate this whole other collection of people as well and and mm-hmm. floating between those two mindsets. Like we have to make ourselves happy and we have to make these other people uh, appreciate and enjoy our output. Uh, hopefully, you know, that's not always the goal, but um, I guess if you're like out there making records and performing live and stuff like that, then there is some sense that you want people to appreciate what you're doing, uh, which is where things kind of become a little bit more business minded. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is, it's so funny, right? Because creative work is such a, um, subjective thing in so many ways, right? Like we all approach, uh, creating things in our own unique way. We use different tools, we use different methods. Um, but it's all to, you know, satisfy a need that we have or satisfy a need that somebody else has. Right. Um, you know, I actually just lost my train of thought. I forgot where, how we, how we segued into that. Well, uh, facing the creative process internally as a mechanism for creating something that's appreciated externally by an audience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so where I was going with that is, there's 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 this whole subjective side to it, but there's also this very scientific side to it, right? Like, there when it comes to say the psychology of your audience, um, you know, each say specific um, persona within you know the, the people who are listening to your content or, or who are following you online. You know, they all have kind of their own unique perspectives and backgrounds and you can cater to one or another um, if that, if that, you know, fits your artistic goal or if that fits your business goal. Um, and, and it's always going to be some combination of, you know, using these more scientific methods with um, kind of the, the free flowing um, creative, we'll say output that comes from just like, having having space to explore different ideas. Okay, so let's bring that into a more structured scenario. Uh, you have recently, this week, started a new job. Congratulations. We're very happy for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what is your role there? What are you doing? And how are these things that you've learned along the way informing the practices in your professional environment? So I joined uh, a startup called Tropic. It is a uh, procurement management uh, SaaS. Um, So there's a services part of the company where we help uh, facilitate and manage um, software on behalf of different companies. Um, And uh, we have a a software that helps um, facilitate all that, help facilitate and manage all that, uh, that buying process. And so um, I'm coming on as a senior product designer, and um, I'll be working on some software that will be customer-facing. And so when it comes to kind of my background and um, the the range of experiences I have that brought me here, um, I'm sorry, my phone just gave me some notification. Excuse me. That happens. Um. But when it comes to my background and what brought me here, um, I've, I've been doing user experience design for close to 10 years now. Um, 
And I, I didn't quite understand at first, you know, how much really does translate from, say, music or visual design um, into the, the world of uh, user experience design. Um, and, and, it, and it really all, again, kind of circles back to psychology and emotion and kind of how people connect to the things that they love, right? And, and there, there are methods that are available to us as creatives that can help us amplify specific emotions uh, for one reason or another. So I think for me, you know, I've, I've learned um, how to take that sort of emotional intelligence that I've developed from uh, my creative work in, in uh, visual design and in music. And that's helped me better. It's helped prepare me to, to better connect with the people that I'm serving on the other side of the screen when it comes to the software that I'm designing. Yeah. I like how technology is going to be interfaced with. Right. And it's not a specialty of mine, but it is something that I like to think about, um, in general. And, you know, when you're, when you're doing something as, as big as a piece of software, you know, you can do anything you want. You could place any, anything inside of there. And, um, you know, you're just amplifying the potential pitfalls, but to be able to strip back and, and give people a very clean and friendly path to find the things that they are actually trying to do, you know, that takes a lot of work and a lot of research and understanding about how people um, are moving across a website or, you know, an app or how, you know, whatever you are deploying and you guys are doing basically like software over software, you know? So there's a couple of layers there. Yeah. So there's something that we were playing around with, uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, image generation with artificial intelligence. Yeah. And a lot of people are, yes. you know, finding this to be engaging. Everybody's really into Dolly, I would say mid journey and most recently, the one that we were playing with was Stable Diffusion, right? Yes. Yeah, it's incredible. They're all incredible. They are all incredible, and they're fun to play with, and it is, you know, staring into the void and, and finding what stares back at, at times. But um, why don't you tell us how you found your way to some of this stuff uh, about a year ago, I think it was? Yeah, so I think it was probably 2018, actually, when... I took an interest in creative coding where um, my kind of artistic sensibilities could merge with my technical skill sets. Um, I didn't really do a whole lot of work back then, but I spent a good bit of time just researching like, hey, what does this space look like? Who's doing what? You know, what, what tools or languages are they, are they writing this stuff in? You know, um, and... I would say slowly um, over over the, over the last few years, um, I've come to gain more knowledge in general about data science. I'm not any expert by any means, and that's really you know working in databases and working with data is not really what I what I can excel at. But I understand enough at a high level to get a get a sense for what's going on under the hood, at least somewhat. Um, 
And so I think it was probably about a year ago when I came across a service called Accomplice.ai. And uh, I'm blanking out on the name of the guy who started it, uh, but it was one of the earlier um, models, diffusion models uh, available for use uh, publicly. Uh, it, it's you know a cloud service. I think it's I don't remember what he was charging at the time, but it was really cheap. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's let's play around with this and, and see what um, see what this does for me. And that's kind of where I started to learn about prompts and um, you know image inputs and uh, as as well as the, the various models that exist and what makes them unique. Uh, in terms of their input data and their output data. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to, say, Dolly, MidJourney, Stable Diffusion, um, I think there's probably, I'd say, four or five, six months ago when I started playing around with uh, MidJourney for actually Disco Diffusion first, and then MidJourney um, had, their, had their beta and I had an invite and started playing around with it there. Um, OpenAI had their invites uh, available, and I got on there not long after. And it gave me a lot of familiarity, kind of just with, I, I took that, that knowledge that I developed with Accomplice, um, started applying some of the same prompts and ideas into these systems to see, okay, what, what kind of outputs are we getting here? And just continuously more and more impressed by what I'm getting each time you know, as, as I was jumping into these tools. And most recently, um, there, there was a, um, there's a GitHub user goes by automatic 1111 and he has a, he or she has this GitHub repo where, um, you can download stable diffusion as well as a web interface. And if you have the uh, graphics power, then you can run stable diffusion locally on your machine, use this web UI to. Uh, configure your your prompts and uh, and your, you know what kind of settings you want for your generation and um, yeah it, it's it's even more powerful than uh, I would say it's more way more powerful than just what I've been able to do with uh, Disco Diffusion and the Google Colab notebooks that I've played around with or or with Midjourney and Discord you just have so much more ability to refine this in a very user friendly way. Yeah, uh, just from the time that I saw it with the web inside of the web browser, it's basically you know a lot of faders and a couple parameters here and there um, that allow you to dial in. Just I don't know, like you're using a synth. Really, that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very modular, and you can import images and then merge these images with additional prompts and uh, other art styles. And anybody familiar with this stuff is going to know kind of like how you tweak wordings or place additional modifiers or exclusions and things like that, just like you would with code. Um, but then there's there's a lot of like very unpredictable, I mean, at least, you know, as a very novice observer and, and user of this, that there are all these different parameters that just radically shift things, um, you know, almost seemingly unpredictable, you know, for my eyes uh, as, as an external, you know, entity watching this stuff happen. Um, but it is cool. And it, and it does, 
allow you to move very rapidly just from an idea to a visual. And I think that that's very compelling for people that, you know, like me are not a visual artist or not um, drawers or illustrators in a traditional sense. I mean, you know, I could doodle something, but I can't necessarily um, put together what I would consider to be like high quality graphic design. And it is something that is a challenge, you know? Yeah, it, it certainly takes skill set. And, you know, to, to add what you're, what you're saying about you know, how it's almost unpredictable, there's definitely this slot machine element to image generation. Um, I would say seeds are the, the value or the input parameter that really add them, I would say, the most variability to, um, to your image generation. And so, you know, once you have found something that you like, you can recycle that seed and continue to adjust those parameters until it's like more precisely what you're looking for. Yeah, that was really um, incredible. And then there's also, yeah, totally, totally. It's, uh, it's fantastic to see just like how limitless the, the, um, the horizon is, we'll say. And the other really incredible part too was like just being able to go back and regenerate the same image, which I thought was kind of amazing. Like it just seems, shouldn't there be something else getting spit out here? But it is, it is a reliable algorithm. Excuse me. Totally. Totally. In that sense. So you can return to like these, um, I don't know fence posts, these mile markers that you might've really enjoyed at one point mm-hmm. while you're working through it. Yeah. That's why like, um, as, as I'm running stable diffusion locally, I also have a log of every prompt that runs and what its parameters were Yeah. so that, you know, as I'm going through, um, my files, you know, all the outputs and, you know, I find one that I like, I can go back to my log and find that, you know, image ID and, replicate that um, using the same seed and, and parameters that I had critical. So where do yeah, you think all this stuff is so. going, you know, in, in the short term, medium term, long term, what are we going to get out of this stuff? That's a really great question. Um, there's certainly already, we'll say a flood or a tsunami of image generation, AI image generation um, all over the web right now. Uh, every social media site that I'm on, um, every, you know, art themed or, or creative focused website, you know, there's some talk about it, uh, about this space right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a ton of value, um, in this type of, uh, model like stable diffusion that's been, uh, trained on this massively large public data set. And um, being able to use more or less natural language to describe, you know, some particular concept or set of concepts. Um, I, I mean, I think this is going to increase the abilities and capabilities of existing artists. And it will also give uh, people who don't have, say, the traditional artistic skills to um really begin to express their their artistic concepts because there's so many creative people and I think a lot of people want to express themselves artistically and visually 
and for what for one reason or another don't um, have the skills, don't have the time, don't have the desire to actually use, uh, say, a paintbrush or a pencil. Um, but they are comfortable, uh, you know, working with text, uh, you know, forms and stuff like that. And um, I, I, I just think it's going to democratize um, art for, for everybody. There's something to be said about, say, the commoditization of it and, uh, say, you might say the devaluation of it. But from what I can tell, uh, the artists that I know that are that are incorporating, the, like the, the existing artists, the traditional artists that I know who are incorporating this into their workflow, um, they're, they're getting a ton of engagement, you know, more, much more so than, say, myself, who, you know, I've, I've been sharing my art plenty of places, but I just don't have the audience. Right. And so they are creating things that they otherwise wouldn't have the time to, uh, to, to, to put together. Um, and I think, you know, they're starting to see the benefits of it. Yeah. I think that's great. I think there's definitely like an accessibility aspect, um, that opens up possibilities for people. I mean, obviously like, yeah, art is a, a fairly equal uh, playing field, but at the same time, you know, there are some limitations. So being able to express yourself either verbally or through text and being able to generate images if you don't necessarily have the physical capacity or the skills, you know, just in general to be able to do that, then I'm sorry, hold on, I'm getting notifications too. Um, then, uh, you know, having these kind of tools available means that we all get to appreciate other people's uh, ideas that we might not otherwise have been able to. I totally agree. I will say, you know, one area of concern, you might say, um, ethically, would be around just how they sourced the data, um, particularly in the case of Stable Diffusion, open, um, Dolly, and, and MidJourney. Um you know, obviously the data that they use was publicly available in the sense that, you know, it's, it's on the open web. You could create a bot to go scrape the web and, you know, download and annotate that data. Um, however, you know, when it comes to say licensing, it's, it's really a gray area on whether or not it's fair use, right? Like I think all art has this, um, pretty much all art is derivative if you ask me. And so, you know, there's definitely the case to be made that so many of these outputs are so vastly different from the data that it originally came from that it is fair use. And, you know, you couldn't you, you wouldn't be able to, to attribute it to one specific artist, even though it might be in their style. But um, I still think, you know, there, there's some there's some hairy questions just around. Um, like, let's say on the off chance that you do produce something that is almost identical to an existing artist, you know, I think that's, that's not, that's not fair to them, but it's, um, the, the thing is that the, the genie is out of the bottle. Yeah. I think right? there's something and, to be said about homage too, though. There's a lot of artists on the comic yeah. uh, con series circuit, uh, who are, generating imagery or generating characters and you know like we we let that slide yeah 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 i i'm i'm not i'm not too concerned about it um you know i i think there's there are legal questions that remain to be answered 
But overall, I think that the technology is fascinating and it's here to stay. It's not going away. There's, there's not any way that you can make it go away. Um, and I think, you know, if we, if we invest in specifically open source AI, um, you know, continuing to make things accessible and open and understandable by everybody. Um, I think that's the, the way that we can, the safest way to, to manage this personally. Yeah. I think that's probably a fair way to go about it. If we're all kind of trying to keep an eye on things, then hopefully it won't get too out of control. Right. Yeah. Well, Hey man, we've been talking for a while and I think we've covered the ground we were looking to. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, dude.